Why, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Get ready for an f- episode that's going to blow your socks off with Stephanie, man. This episode is just dense with awesome takeaways. I am just super pumped. We just got done with the conversation. So um, I got so much out of it, and I have a feeling that you guys will too. Uh, Let us know what you think about the episode. If you get something out of it, like I did, please share it with someone, and um, let's help pass the word. That's the only way the 3 of 7 podcast grows is through you guys. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate you guys listening and uh, taking the time out of your day and spending it with us. It is special beyond words to me personally. I want to talk about real quick ExoSkin. You guys know about ExoSkin if you've listened to the 3 of 7 podcast. Why do I support ExoSkin? Well, one, because they have the best fitness apparel on the market, period. End of story. That's the main reason I support them. The second reason I support them is because they're 100% made in the USA. That's down to the very thread that is used to make these garments, uh, this apparel. And that's important to me. Three, I support ExoSkin because they believed in me before anybody knew who Chad was. Anybody. Uh, ExoSkin was the first company to help me out in my ultra running journey and uh, supply me with top-notch gear that allowed me to go further, go faster, and be more comfortable. That means a lot to me. They did that because they support veterans. They love America. Um, They appreciated my service. And so, you know, that means a lot. Here's ExoSkin. I want to talk about the underwear real quick. Look, these underwear are extremely comfortable. It's a fairly new product ExoSkin's come out with. I guess they've had them out now for about a year. I have got the 3.0 Exo underwear with me right now, or they also call it a short liner. It's a three-quarter length. It's a very, very nice, breathable, thin fabric. (coughs) Excuse me. One cool thing about all ExoSkin products is the fabric is 3D engineered which means it has actual channels in it that channels moisture and sweat away from your skin. You know what that does? It cuts down on chafing. Yeah, big time. And friction. That causes chafing. <coughs> Man, I keep coughing during this uh, this segment right here. My bad. Another thing about ExoSkin, all their products have copper fibers woven into the fabric, which cuts down on odor-causing bacteria. I am not kidding you. I can wear the same ExoSkin socks for an entire week before I have to wash them, and they don't stink. It's unbelievable how this stuff works. These, these um, underwear right here, you can wear these underneath your running shorts. You can wear these day-to-day underneath your, uh, your, your regular britches that you've got on. If you're out working, uh, you can wear these if you're out backpacking, uh, whatever. It's going to make you more comfortable. It's going to cut down on friction. It's going to cut down on chafing. And one of the spots that a lot of people chafe, including me, is right there in your crotch, man. So the underwear is a pretty important piece of gear. Go check them out, man. 
I have multiple pairs of these, and I absolutely love them. If you want to get you some Exoskin, go to exoskin.us. That is exoskin.us. Follow them on Instagram at exoskin, uh, I think, .usa. I'll attach the uh, handle to their Instagram in the show notes of this episode, along with their website, along with the pro code that'll give you guys a discount on any purchase you make through Exoskin. That is specially for you guys, 3 of 7 podcast listeners. Exoskin, we can't thank you enough for making your products in America, for making the best fitness apparel out there that helps us run further, faster, and stay out longer. Uh, we can't thank you enough for supporting our military, for supporting me um, in my fitness journey. We love you guys, and uh, I just love supporting companies that believe and stand on the same principles that we do here at 307 Project. Hey, get ready for this episode. Buckle up. Here's Stephanie. Enough said. Well, everybody on the podcast knows that I'm the microphone police. Why are you clapping? Sound check. Yeah, you, you don't. Look, no, you're doing like this. I'm the production manager here, Biscuit. Um, wow, we got a full house in here. Some estrogen on a finally. Saturday. We've got Stephanie. Stephanie, what's your last name? It is Lawler. Stephanie Lawler. We've got Blake, and we've got the world famous Ain't B. Ain't B. We took a grand old old fashioned coon hunt last night. What's up, Team Salamander? <laughs> y'all was hunting them crayfish and well, salamanders. I'll tell y'all just real quick. This is how you coon hunt. You stand in one spot, you turn a dog loose, and you wait for that dog to bark and find a tree, and we know by its bark. So in the meantime, you just stand in one place and wait normally. So they're all sitting around farting and joking and laughing and eating and <laughs> I'm in there the was creek. a lot of farting going on. There was a ton time. of farting. And I I put my light in the creek for a split second, and there's just a ton of these baby salamanders that are like this big. And I thought there's all sorts of cool bugs. I mean, really, I was really getting a full experience, and you guys weren't is well, what was happening. Benji was right there with you. Yeah, Benji was. was like a darn five-year-old in that <laughs> he creek. Was. He told me last night, he said, this is... <laughs> He said, man, this is the funnest I've had in so long. <laughs> he loved, he loved it. it. Yeah. He was the last person I would expect to like coon hunting. Yeah. Yep. We have a, we have a, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like, we're going to go out probably next week and look for fossils and artifacts and just spend time in the creek. That crap's fun. You see some bugs that make you like, what? What is that? That exists? Stephanie, I freaking love your Instagram, man. Thank you. How'd you I, how'd you get so good at Instagram? I gotta look. What's, what? I don't think it's all that good, but I appreciate you saying that. It's, I think it's just, I have always just stuck to what felt right for me, which is hard in this day and age. I mean, you know how social media is, and I think so many people get to this place where they look around and they want to copy what everybody else is doing. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. I didn't get into this to be any kind of influencer. I just understood that social media was a part of how I needed to market myself and let people know what I did. Um, So I've always just tried to keep that at the forefront. I've tried to make sure that anything I ever post has some value to it. It's not just a vanity thing. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's always been my big focus is, is this valuable to anybody else? Not, not to me necessarily, but is it teaching somebody something? Is it inspiring them? Is it motivating them in some way? Yeah. Every post is that way. But Biscuit, it's Warrior Fit, W-A-R-R-I-O-R Fit 1, Warrior Fit 1. Oh, yeah. I already followed you. I forgot. Um, Who does your pictures? I do mostly. <laughs> do you really? They look. I do. They're yeah. awesome. Man. Yeah, sometimes my daughters will take pictures for me. There are a few that are, I've had some content done, being up at first form, that sort of thing. But Yeah. Oh, okay. Stephanie, look, when we had you out on the range the other day, well, I don't know what, last weekend or something, I, I knew that you were I- extremely fit. I could tell. Even though we were all bundled up, I could tell you were you were strong just by your movements, right? And um, and so I had no clue about you know you or your mission or your business or what you were. And then you told me a little bit about what you did, uh, what you what you do, or kind of the partnership you have with First Form. And of course, Andy's a good friend of mine. And so I hit Andy up after the range, and I said, Andy, I tr- got to train one of your uh, elite coaches out on the range today and he was like which one and i sent him the screenshot of your instagram page and andy said oh she's the best and then he sent another message and said no i mean she's the best and i said all right if andy is saying that she's the best there's got to be something special about this lady because andy's pretty particular about who he, um, what do you say? Endorses. Per- endorses, right? And I said, oh, okay, there's something here. <laughs> and it's beautiful because the last podcast we recorded, we really hit on obesity. We came out against Bojangles. We talked about, Thank God. <laughs> we talked about how people in the South the the just the fitness scene and and the health scene down here in, in in the south is way way behind man you go out west i don't know why have you guys seen this you go out west and people are in better shape yeah just as a whole physically i don't know about mentally um but physically they're in better shape but man <laughs> down south we are way way behind why do you think that is I don't really know. I The first time I really had some awareness of this was uh, I did a study abroad at the end of my senior year at University of Georgia. I had like five credit hours left and had this opportunity to go to Oxford, England, which was a big deal. Like I didn't come from money. I didn't travel much growing up. And so I had applied for a scholarship and got it. And this was the first time my eyes were really open to life outside of Georgia. I, you know, this is born and raised here. So I don't have a whole lot of experience, didn't travel a lot. And it was eye-opening to see how fit most people were. Everybody walked everywhere. They were yeah. going to the market every day, buying their food fresh. There wasn't all these fast food options around. And it was interesting to me because you could almost pick out who was an American based mm-hmm. on their body mass. And that was so sad to me. And I, I think that it was it was eye-opening. But I think when we look at the South, a lot of it just tends to be how we've been raised. And I think it's a lack of education. I think it's a lack of... Um, I don't even know, just a lack of nutrition education, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I, I see this a lot with a lot of my clients. This is not anything that we are taught. And people have become so so accustomed to just looking for the easy way out and not wanting to put in the work to get the results. And it's the same thing with nutrition. 
the first question most of my clients ask me is what fat burner can I take? What fat burner can I take? And they're very displeased when they hear my answers, chicken, beef, <laughs> venison, you know, and they, they sort of look at me funny. I'm like, no, this isn't about a quick fix. This is about overhauling your lifestyle and overhauling your mindset about food and nutrition and, and what is really good for you. So I think in the South, we have an interesting dynamic in that food and coming together to celebrate, mm. you know, it, it does involve culturally, it, it yeah. does involve culturally and, and, you know, just demographically that there is a love of food and that's not necessarily bad. I mean, food is nourishment, but how it's gotten so on its side is beyond me. I don't know. It's, I can't figure it out either. Another thing that you talked about that, that I think is, is a key point is just essentially how we've set our communities up, how everything is so spaced out, right? And you talk about the, you talk about your trip you took to England and time that I've spent over in Europe and, and things are, things are within walking distance or mm. like riding, like not, you don't even have to own a car. That's correct. Here, you, if you don't have a car, you ain't doing, you ain't getting nowhere, man, because we're 20 miles from town. And even our cities, the way our, our cities are set up where things may be within distance, Atlanta Atlanta is the butthole of the South. I, I mean, the whole southeastern United States, that is the black hole. That that city is not conducive to a safe environment to get out and ride a bicycle or walk or whatever it is. I mean, it's just it's just not set up that way. So even the way we set up our See, I'm trying to, this is why I wanted to have you on right now is because we just talked all this crap about fat people that are, <laughs> that are happy about being fat and they just think that's the way you should be in life. And, um, but do you really think they are? I mean, do you really think they are happy or do you think this is just a normalization <sighs> and well, yes, rationalization yeah. of choices? I was thinking last night. Um, I forgot what one of you guys said, and it just spurred a, a daydream for me of, like, I was comparing myself and my drug addiction to obese people. And I was like, you know, we get frustrated with family and friends that we can't get them to want to care. And it's like, nobody could get me to want to care when I was in an addiction. Mm. So I don't know. Last night, I had a little grace where I normally just get really frustrated. I'm like, well... I don't know. I don't, I just never thought about that. Like, yeah. It is essentially for some people the same thing. Well, yeah. somebody, uh, it might've been Annie Luke, Lucas's wife sent an Instagram message, just adding that same thought and said, it's like someone who's addicted to, to drugs. And you say, Hey, why don't you just stop? And someone who is obese and is like, has an eating problem. And you say, Hey, just stop. You're getting fat. It, it kind of comes across the same <laughs> way to them. But, mm -hmm. And I think some of it is you don't know how bad you feel until you feel good. Mm, yes. Until you start addressing some of those issues that lie under the surface and until you start fixing some of the health issues that are there, you don't really know how bad you feel. This is just the lifestyle that has crept up slowly as those inches, those pounds have come on. Yeah. And it's a slow progression. And all of a sudden you do look in the mirror and you don't recognize who you are, but it's happened so slowly that you, you don't even, you're not even aware you know, I, I remember my mother-in-law had knee replacement surgery and uh, her doctor said, this is absolutely because you have carried more body weight on your small frame. All of that impact on your knees has deteriorated any of that soft tissue. And he, he made her lose a certain amount of weight before they would even go in and do that surgery. 
and she just didn't even realize how, how different she felt. You know, it's like walking or running in a weighted vest. You take that thing off and it's a difference, right? I mean, that's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's extra pounds that you've been carrying. And so it's, it's interesting to watch people as they evolve and decide that they want to reclaim control of their life and health, but it has to be their own decision. Right. But once they start taking those steps and becoming a better version of themselves, they do start to feel better. And they understand that it's not just a physical aspect. They start to feel better mentally. They're, they're more in control emotionally. And it just becomes this compounding effect. But you're, you're exactly right. Until somebody's at a place where they're ready for that and they're ready to own those, those decisions, they're not going to claim they feel, <laughs> they feel awful the way they are. Yeah. That's all they know. Do you, what is, and I may be jumping ahead, but like, what do you see as the biggest common obstacle for people with getting healthy? Like, is there, is there a common I think the most common theme, and this is so funny because all my clients check in with me on Fridays. So yesterday was a full day of this and it seemed to be about the same theme. It's, it's funny, themes tend to, to pop up week to week. And it's that, it's that inability to understand how long this is gonna take to change your habits mm. and an unwillingness to put in the time that it's gonna take to reach those goals. So I'll take these people, for, for example, in a private group challenge. We're going to work together for eight weeks. And I let them know very clearly this eight weeks is just a starting point for most. You're not going to get to that goal weight, that goal body fat, these health changes in eight weeks, but this is where we're all going to come together and begin. And they set forth a goal in the beginning, whether it's a number goal or something strength, endurance related, something emotional. And then we dig down to why is that your goal? Because obviously there's got to be a more substantial reason. And first couple of weeks, they're very excited. They put in the work, they're going to follow the plan. And then we hit this week five point where they should be into a good cadence. They should be at a place where it's all starting to click. And what happens is they start backing off. They start getting sloppy. They start getting a little lazy. They get a little frustrated. They don't think that this is happening as quickly as it should. And it's just interesting to me, if somebody knew they had to pay off $200,000 of debt, they understand we could do the math and figure out how long that's going to take. And they can invest in that and they can work that plan. But if you say, all right, this is going to take us 20 weeks to lose this amount of weight that you want to lose, they're not really willing to put that work in there. Right. And so I think the consistency is a, a lack of work, right? It's, it's laziness. It's people who make these decisions. They think these things are their goals, but they're not really their goals. They're not really willing to put in the work to get there. Mm-hmm. I heard an analogy like two days ago, and it was actually somebody talking about getting fit. And they said, you know, when you're watching water freeze, the water looks the same up until the moment it freezes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why would you expect to see a bunch of big results? Like that's how fitness is going to be for a lot of people. Like, right. Eight weeks is just a start. You got a few months and, but you're going to see results. It's just not, I mean, yeah, you might not see it at first. I think it goes back also uh, the kind of one of my foundational mindset principles plays into this too. When Stephanie talks about the totality of what it takes to get healthy uh, and the length of time that it takes, I think it, in some people's mind, it probably goes back to that same thing that I talk about in SEAL training. Why did everybody quit? Because they became overwhelmed by the big picture and, you know, like you said, the first four weeks is 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 all right, and then you get to five, week five, week six, and you, you start you start looking way ahead. Like, oh man, week eight's not going to be the end. That's not the finish line. It's becoming a reality, and then you start thinking, how long is this going to take? And then that is the moment that you 
that you end up quitting. Mm -hmm. Every single person I've ever known that quit anything in terms of a, a distance, an endurance type of thing, like getting healthy, like an ultra marathon, like SEAL training, they can tell you of a distinct moment where they lost focus of what they had to do that day. And that's when they quit. Yeah, that's exactly right. This was probably four or five years ago. My oldest decided that she wanted to do the Disney half marathon. Thinking, okay, at 15, this is pretty admirable. She's a year-round swimmer. She's decently in shape. She loves Disney World. We're going to go down and do this. And uh, she never asked if I would do it with her, but she you know, was just excited that she was going to do this for herself. So this is sort of stewing with me. Like, this just doesn't sit right in my soul that my child is going to go run this race and I'm just going to stand there on the side holding the sign and handing her water. And I thought, I, I got to lead from the front with her. So if she's going to do this, I'm going to do this too. Now I understand she's far more in shape than I am. <laughs> I'm basically coming out of no training whatsoever. I mean, I, I walk in the mornings, but it's mostly for my mental health. And uh, now, how long ago was this? This was probably three or four years ago. Okay. So I decide that I'm going to do this race with her and sign up as we get down to Orlando and you know, I don't have the right shoes. I, I don't have the right anything. And for a few moments, I did get really overwhelmed and thinking this is 13.1 miles. This is the farthest I've ever run at one time. I don't know that I can do this. And I just kept coming back to how does anyone finish this? It's just one foot in front of the other until we hit that finish line. Yeah. And, and that was the, the mentality that, that took me through that. I was, I mean, I was hurting, I was in bad shape, mm -hmm. but I just kept telling myself, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have her do something that I'm unwilling to at least try to do along with her. And if she has this drive and she has this motivation to get out there and do that, then I have no excuses. I've got an able body. No, I'm not exactly trained for this, but I'm in decent physical shape. We're going to see how this goes. And at the end of the day, it's just a resolve to not quit. But it's you're exactly right. It's not getting overwhelmed with that big picture. And like second mile in, I thought I got to stop thinking about this as 13.1. I have to think yeah. about it as this step, this mile marker, then the next one, then the next one. And, you know, before you know it, you get there. But it is it's easy to get lost in that big picture thinking. And I think you have to have a balance of that. You do have to know where you're going. You have to have the plan to get there. But a lot of times people get stuck in just thinking about the seemingly unattainable goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just got to be one piece at a time. And, well, the, and the more difficult it gets, the smaller you have to break it down. That's right. Like yeah. when me and Chili did our 25 mile run the other day and I blew up, like I'm not going to, I use this stuff, guys. <laughs> I'm not just telling you this. Like you, you might think that because I am... The runner that I am, that like I don't still have no you. I I implement this stuff as a high level athlete. I blew up on that run. We did our last couple miles on the road out there. I was literally telling myself, just get to that road sign yes. right there. Just get to that. Just get to the next <laughs> freaking road sign. That's two hundred yards. I did that. Like this. This applies across all spectrums of of ability, right? This works for everybody. Another thing I had to keep telling myself, my hamstrings and glutes were on fire, man, because that was the first long run I had done since mid-state mile last June. And I just had to keep telling myself out loud, you have to 
You have to remind your body of what it feels like to run through this pain. I've had that pain hundreds and hundreds of times in the past, but I took a long time off and it shocked you. It's going to shock your body again if you jump back into that and you got to tell yourself, hey, I got to remind my body of what it feels like to run through this pain. All right. Now, because a lot of people that want to get healthy or want to take their fitness to the next level are listening to this podcast particular, I want to tell you something that's really great about your fitness journey, about getting healthy. This is such a beautiful thing, and if you can grasp it, it will get you it will give you hope. The longer you stick with this, the longer you stick with whatever it is, running, diet, fitness, strength, the longer you stick with it, the easier and more enjoyable it becomes. That's the beautiful thing about any long-term physical challenge is the, the, the difficulty or the demand on your body actually decreases with uh, the length of time that you stick with it because God created our bodies to adapt and respond to that physical stress or tension. And so as your body adapts, it just gets easier and more enjoyable. So it's not like some other things in life that the longer you stick with it, the harder it might get. It's exactly the opposite. Well, and it cannot it can seem like it's not that way because the longer you do it, the faster you go. And if you're not really watching your times or your speed, it'll seem like this is not really getting any easier if you're not tracking your stuff because you're just gonna run faster. At least me, like if I go run a mile consistently, I'm just going to get faster, but the difficulty is going to feel the same. I'm just going to go faster. But if I went at that same pace that I started, it would feel easier. I'm just saying that to say, like, if you're thinking that this is not getting easier, then start tracking your time or have some kind of standard to yeah to compare it to, or, or you, you're probably right. It probably doesn't feel any easier. Well, that's the difference between if you, if you decide you want to be competitive, it never gets easier. Yeah. But if you just decide you want to be healthy and fit and in and, and, and good shape, just a healthy human being, then once you hit that point, mm-hmm. you, you just sustain that, right? Now, when you get to that point, if you say, okay, I want to be competitive, then yeah, it doesn't get any easier yeah. because the better you get, the faster you go. Right? I, I yeah. think the other interesting angle to this, and I try to remind my clients of this too, is you have to fall in love with the work. It, it's... We all think that there's going to be this magical, mystical thing at the end when we get there at the end, you know, and just kind of going back to that race that I ran, it wasn't, I mean, I look at where the parts of it that I remember. Yeah, I felt great crossing that finish line, but the parts that I remember, the parts that really shaped me from that was everything in between. It was standing there looking around and seeing my husband and my other daughter. It was having those moments where Hannah and I stopped and, you know, joked and laughed and complained about how (laughs) chafed we were and, you know, these kinds of things like that's what you remember. There was a feeling of victory at the end, but you have to fall in love with the work. And I think that's where, where people start to fall short as they just keep going, you know, it's, it's going to be this way when I get to the end, you've got to learn to love it right here and uh, adopt this, I get to mentality. And that's where we have to change that talk track and change that mindset. It's not, I have to eat this way. I have to go work out. It's I get to, and I think that's probably one of the best parts of of having a special needs child is I understand what that I get to mentality looks like because over the course of these last 15 years, I've seen 
a lot of kids who don't get to, they don't have that choice to get to do something. Yep. Um, you know, and, and when I don't want to get out there and go lift, when I don't want to feed my body well, I remember that this is a gift I have been given and I need to be so thankful for that because if you start putting out into the universe that it's a burden, it's going to be taken away from you. So man, that's so what good. a mindset shift that is too. I, I mean, totally resonates with me because that's me. I, I am in love with the process and the work, the daily training and the opportunity and the way it, the way I can relate to you is also similarly, I have friends that are no longer alive that were some of the fittest men on earth that loved, loved to just get after it, man. And they don't get to do that anymore. And it's almost like, Fitness and my ultra running and the things that I do is a way to honor them and the ability that they had, but they're not here anymore. And so if I just let myself go, that's disrespectful to them. And that just hits me square, man. Yeah, it really does. You, you talked about falling in love with the, with the work. There's another part. I am also in love with his wife. <laughs> no, I, I've been thinking no. about this the other day. No, I, I'm also in love with the victories, like the small, like even if it's a small win or a big win, right? There is nothing like the moment when you say you start a program like Stephanie's program. Or say you start a last man standing race, like I started. There's nothing like the moment when you go far enough and you look around you and you realize that no one else was willing to go as far as you were willing to go. Yeah. There is nothing like that moment when you look around you and there's no one left. It's just you. I live for those moments and you don't get those all the time because it ta there's a lot of work that goes into leading up to that moment. But I promise you, it feels good. It's just, it's just freaking, yeah. I don't know. I well, had to throw that in there. No, I think that's so true. That's part of what I try to build in with, with the clients that I work with is let's, let's build these small wins because that, that does compound and that does feel so good. And you become addicted to that, that rush of the win and feeling confident. And that's, that's in part how this journey goes is you build that confidence through putting yourself into those positions and having those small wins. And as those wins tend to stack, then you have the confidence to go for that next thing for that next thing. So you take these people who are lacking self-confidence, they're, they're lacking that drive, they're lacking that motivation. And you help to create these opportunities where they're going to to have those small wins, but you yep. have to teach them to appreciate those small wins. And sometimes a small win is, you know what? Today I, I turned down Bojangles and I went home yeah. and I put a piece of chicken on the grill. That's a huge win. Let's celebrate that. And let's use that and, and how, how you felt in control in that moment and how good that felt. Let's take that to the next, the next win, right? We have to keep building these small opportunities to get there. That builds so much momentum. It does. You you know, when I won my first race, that like my first ultra marathon, just that 
coming to the realization that like, holy crap, this is, I can win. Like, this is what it feels like to win. That changes your trajectory as a human, as an athlete, as a human, depending on what it is you win at. I mean, that's, that's key, man. That's key is getting and stacking up those wins. That's tremendous in changing the trajectory of your mindset. Because when you realize, man, I can, I can actually win, huh, it's a whole nother level, son. Well, and I think the interesting thing about momentum, I had a, a mentor who told me this several years ago when I first decided I was going to leave teaching and have this new change of heart and this new career. And I had had a, a small win. It was actually something with First Form. Um, they had chosen me as one of their brand ambassadors. And I was so excited about this. I'd worked so hard for this. And you know, I said, ah, this is awesome that I'm here, but I, I want this next thing. And at the time I was coming from a, a really dark place that I had pulled myself out of. And I used to have the mindset that if something good happened, something bad was going to come and knock you down. I, I always thought that that's just how the world works, that you could celebrate there in that moment for a minute, but something bad was going to come. Like the, the bad was always going to follow the good. The good was always going to follow the bad. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Stephanie, understand that that win, that momentum, it doesn't have to stop. The only mm. one that's going to stop this momentum is you. And it, it's, I mean, it stopped me dead in my tracks. I remember exactly where I was in the gym when he said those words to me. And I thought, wow, that's something I have to change. I have to stop thinking that just because I got this win, now I'm going to be kicked back down a notch. I don't have to be. And it's not to say that the bad times are not going to come. They absolutely will. That's a cycle of life, right? But what, what you have to understand is you control that cycle. You control that momentum. So when you have that realization, wow, I can do this. I can actually win this thing that builds that confidence. But I think that's something that I needed to be told that the momentum doesn't have to stop. Wow. I'm starting to understand why Andy endorsed <laughs> you. Um, gosh, this is solid stuff. I, you got something, baby? Yeah. How'd okay. you know? I, I, well, I just saw you over there. What, did, what was I doing? <laughs> you just had that look in your eyes. I wanted to know, like, kind of going back to the conversation, I hear a lot of people's excuse is time and work and my kids. And, like, all of that is valid in my eyes. But you work and you have a special needs child. So, like, was that ever a challenge for you? And how did you break free of that? You stole one of my questions, dang it. <laughs> you told me this yesterday. So time management is a, a passion project of mine. I actually work with some of the first form sponsored trainers and I teach them a six-week course over time management. And it's the biggest piece that I hear with my clients as well. I might need that course. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But, you know, I think uh, coming from a background where in, in the thick of Neely's care and her advocacy, I was working full time. We were just in an absolute nightmare of a financial position. So not only was I teaching full-time, I was picking up any additional work. Mm. Cleaning the trainer's condo that I went to the gym, I kind of bartered hours cleaning his uh, cleaning his condo. Neely had three therapies a week. They were an hour away. So drive an hour to therapy, do an hour of therapy, drive an hour home. Sometimes we could get them stacked back-to-back, -back, sometimes not. Other doctor's appointments, English teachers. So the workload of grading all these papers, 150 students at a rip was a lot. And trying to find some semblance of, of life and sanity and giving to other parts and the responsibilities. So 
I sometimes have a hard time when clients come to me and they say, I just can't do these things. I don't have enough time. And I'm looking at them and they are 20, 25 years old. They're working 40 hours a week. They don't have kids. They don't have any of these other responsibilities. And listen, it's all relative. I mean, I thought I was super busy when I was 22 years old teaching, you know, working 40 hours a week. I thought I was so busy. I had no time, right? And then you build that next thing on. Then I decide I'm going to go back to school and get a master's degree. I'm going to start coaching and teaching. And you're thinking, man, I don't, there's no more time for anything else. And you just start adding it on. And in part, it's because you get more efficient and you become more, more adept at managing your time better. But I think even people who have the best time management tools, resources, that's all fine and well, but you have to be a good manager of yourself. And I think that's where people get hung up. They, they really waste a lot of their time. They're not putting their time and energy into the things that are going to move them closer to their goals. And it becomes this reshifting where you have to say, okay, here are the things that I want. And this is how I'm currently spending my time. So let's audit this. Let's look at where 24 hours in a day goes for you, honestly. And let's, let's look at these things and ask myself, do all of these things move me in the direction that I want to be in? And the things that don't align, you have to get rid of them and you have to mm. become better at creating these boundaries, at saying no to things. I was forever the yes man. I wanted to, I have a servant heart. I want to help in any way that I possibly can. So yes to everything, yes to everybody. But unfortunately, when you're saying yes to everybody, you're saying no to yourself in a lot of ways. And so it was just a, a reclamation of that and deciding I've got to start saying yes to the things that are truly going to move me in the direction that I'm going. And when you start doing that and you get really honest with yourself, you have a lot more time to work on your goals than you think, right? It's, it's needs and wants. You may want to sit there and watch three hours of television a night, but is that doing anything to move you closer to your goals? And if it's not, you either cut that time in half or get rid of it completely. And so I think that's what it was for me. I had all these things that I had to fit in and I had to do them and I had to do them at a level that was top notch because my daughter depended on me. So when I looked at all those things, it, it became very clear to me that I had plenty of time in a day. It was how was I managing myself within that time and, and, and making sure that I was making time for the things that were important and for the things that were necessary. Yeah, I mean, that just gives me chills, man. <laughs> what you said was that your why was big enough to make those things happen, your why to provide for your daughter. So when people use that excuse, I feel like they're all they're saying in, in different terms is that my why for why I want to do this is not strong enough to put it above these other things on my priority level, right? And I mean, in essence, that's what they're saying. And if they had a stronger why, then they would bump some of those other priorities down and say, well, now this is more important because this, and I, I've just, I can't do these things anymore. And so now I have time. And I think that was beautifully put. No, it is. It's all about that deeper reason for, for why you're doing the things that you're doing. Did I want to have time to spend 10, 12 hours a week taking my daughter to therapy? Absolutely not. Yeah. But it, it wasn't about me at that time. It was about what did we need to do for her? And that that was my why. My why my entire time in being a special needs mom for both of my girls really is just doing everything I can to make sure that they're the best versions of themselves that they're intended to be and helping to, to kind of chart that path for them until they are able to do that for themselves. So- when you know what your, what your purpose in life is and when you understand that you have this responsibility to leave a legacy, it makes it very clear the things that, that don't need to be filling up the space in your life and in your heart. Well, and you said that time is 
basically relative to the amounts people have. And I experienced that when I didn't have kids and then when I did have kids. And when I had kids, I said, son, I thought I didn't have no time when I didn't have kids. I, I could I could conquer the world if I didn't have kids now with all the time that I have that I would have had to work on these things. And so that just goes back to like they bumped up and bumped everything else out. And people that are that you said are in their 20s and single with no kids working 40 hours a week. Son, I might would just cut that client down if they were to, if they were to tell me they didn't have time. So you are not allowed to use the word time anymore. Biscuit, I think we need to audit our schedule. <laughs> BS. <laughs> I like my schedule. Is that what you wrote down? Uh, no, I wrote down something because what this conversation has done for me is really given me a perspective shift in saying treating someone's journey to become a whole and healthy human being, viewing it more as a recovery process. So I can understand the recovery process um, from an addiction standpoint, uh, even from a, like a mental illness standpoint, but it never really, it, it, it never dawned on me to, to view the becoming a healthy person from more of like a recovery process angle. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, like there's not many people out there that are... Like a long term. Like, yeah, they're doing these things. They're not doing it because they say, man, I want to get fat. I want to eat all... And so, like you're saying, it's just like anything else. Most people aren't doing these things to their body intentionally with the, to, with the desire to have the negative outcomes. They're, they know that it's like Paul says in the Bible, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And that stands true today. And so I think what he's getting at is that the people that are having problems with these things, it's it, it's a recovery from obesity. It's a recovery from drugs. It's a recovery from whatever they, they're doing that they don't want to do. Well, I always, I've always kind of viewed physical fitness and health as like a, as like a uh, standalone thing that you need to freaking fix yourself, right? If you're out of shape or, you know, you're not you're not healthy, you need to fix yourself. When it's like, oh, well, you can't just work on that one thing. Mm-mm. And it's more it's more of a like holistic rewiring your mind and your, you know, and and I know all those things work together, but I don't know why I've always been so hyper focused on fitness and health as kind of its own entity. Um, but the reason I ask this is because Stephanie, even on her page here, she talks about in warrior fitness, developing warriors in mind, body, and spirit. How do you approach that with somebody that's in, that's in, that wants to start this journey to become a healthy person? Like, do you work on all three of those things kind of simultaneously or cause it's, it's, it's a, it's a total package. It sounds like. It's a total package, and I think this has been kind of an evolution. So when I first jumped out of education and, you know, 20 years in, in teaching people, but what, what always rang true for me as a teacher is 
this isn't just about learning English. This isn't about knowing where a comma goes in a sentence, right? This is about being a better communicator. This is about skill building. So that was such an inherent part of how I wanted to coach other people. I can, I can give you this plan, but I would rather teach you why I'm asking you to do these things. And so when I look at this whole approach of, you know, mind, body, and spirit, I think in the beginning when I jumped into personal training, it was, okay, this is something totally new. I'm just going to teach people the fundamentals of how to move their body. That, so that would be my perspective. That's the start, yep. right? I'm going to teach them how to have better mobility, how to have better strength. And in a year that I worked in the gym, I felt so frustrated because I would have these clients that would sign up for these sessions. And some of them, you know, three, four days a week, they would come and train with me, but they weren't seeing progress. Yep. And I thought, okay, well, this is so short-sighted. I only have them for 30, 30 minutes or an hour. They have 23 other hours in the day and it's what's happening there, right? It's the culmination of these habits and it's the culmination of the rest of their lifestyle. And so I would try to help them understand, well, we can only do so much here. Let's talk about your nutrition. They didn't want to do that though. They just wanted me to give them the best workout possible. And I would, they'd come out, you know, sweating, tired, feel great afterwards. But I felt this huge disconnect in helping people to understand that, okay, so now we have to get the nutrition right. So then I started working with online clients. So now we're addressing both parts of that. And there still seems to be something missing. And that's when I realized, well, what's missing is we have to teach people about how to be healthy in our hearts, in our souls, spiritually. Like we have to, to bring all of this together. And, and I think for me, that was the way my journey went. You know, I, when my daughter, when, when my youngest was two, we were at rock bottom. I mean, it was just one awful thing after the next. And I remember thinking, my mindset was what's next? I kept asking myself, what's next? What bad thing next is coming? And let me tell you, if you keep asking that question, the universe is going to keep delivering exactly what you're asking for. It's very much a magnet. And so every time I would say, you know, what, what other bad thing? Here it comes. And this just kept happening. We were millions of dollars in the hole in real estate, the market crash. My husband was in banking and finance. He had a job, you know, managing the presidential portfolio for the bank. And uh, one afternoon at four o'clock, close the bank down, the feds come in, take over the bank, and he no longer has a job. Mm. So, you know, here we are with a special needs child. He was the main breadwinner. I was just kind of teaching because I loved it. I didn't necessarily have to. We have all this real estate down in Florida that was investments to leave a legacy for our kids. And the bank starts calling in all of these debts. We can't pay them anymore. And very quickly, all of this compounded. And so we've gone to a place where we were you know, very comfortable and living a good life to, we don't know how we're going to pay for this roof over our heads. And then it was all of these questions about my daughter's diagnosis. And maybe it wasn't actually cerebral palsy. Maybe it was a genetic condition that mimicked those same symptoms that would actually be life ending. And so mm. all of this was in the span of probably six to nine months. And I have never been a person to necessarily get into, you know, dark thoughts, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, any of this. And I found myself in that place. And I, I became so desperate and so um, just downtrodden in my spirit and in my soul that every night I was drinking a bottle of wine just so I could shut off. You know, I'm, I'm taking Xanax, I'm taking anti-anxieties that doctors will just willingly give to anybody that comes in and says they have an issue. And so I just kept masking all of this pain because I didn't feel like I was physically or mentally or emotionally strong enough to handle any of it. So I just kept burying it, burying it, burying it, right? And all the while, I keep a smile on my face. I keep, you know, 
putting one foot in front of the other, doing all the things I had to do because I knew I had to do those things. But on the inside, I was coming apart at the seams and nobody knew, not my husband, not my mom, not my sister. No one had any idea where I was mentally. And I remember it was a spring day and my husband was at work and my girls were probably four and two, uh, you know, Blake, same as, as yeah. your girls. And uh, I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I am of no good to anybody. I, I, I don't see a way out of any of this. Every single day, it's another door being slammed in our face. It's another dive deeper down into this hole that we're never going to be able to get out of. And I, I just, I can't do it anymore. And I've never understood that desperation. When people talk about going to a dark place and being suicidal. Never before have I understood that. And I think that that's a good thing that you can't relate or understand that. But once you do, that's, that's with you forever. Um, and I remember I had this day where I thought, I'm done. You know, the back deck is a good three stories off the ground. I'm going to just shotgun a couple of beers, throw down some Xanax and take a, take a header off the deck. And as much as I think about that now, how illogical and irrational that is, and I probably wouldn't have ended my life that way. That's all I could think to do. And, uh, I remember in that moment, I just, for whatever reason, look back and I'm standing on my deck and it's March and the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. And I remember I look back and the glass door that was from the inside of the house out, my, my girls were both standing there and they both had their hands pressed up against the glass. That's all I will remember is Hannah and her long white blonde hair and kneeling with her brown curly hair. And they both had their little baby hands pressed up against the glass. And I just remember looking at that. And in that moment, I thought, what are you doing? you can't do this. You have to keep fighting all of this that's here in front of you for those two girls behind you. And I walked back in the house. I emptied every bit of alcohol we had. I poured the Xanax. I poured the, you know, Zoloft, everything down the toilet. And I thought I have to climb my way out of this hole. And the only two things that I know to do are <laughs> to go to the gym and to pray. Like those are the only two ways I know to get out of this place. And I don't even know if that's going to help, but that's all I have. So there was a new gym that was opening. I, we didn't have a, a dime, <laughs> not a dime to even pay the $9.99 a month membership. Went in there and started uh, talking with one of the personal trainers. And he's like, look, I'll work out a barter deal. Come clean my apartment, clean my condo, give you a membership. And uh, that's what I did. I would, I would go to the gym. It was a 24-7 kind of place. And I would go in at 10, 11 o'clock at night and pull my hat down low. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I just wanted to go in there and do my thing, put my music on and just tried to find strength under weight. And I never had any idea that all this other emotional strength was going to come from that. All I knew is if I could find the confidence to push this weight off my body, then maybe I could develop some better physical strength. Wow. And never, not, not one day did I understand that in building that physical strength, I was building back a mental and emotional strength that I had lost such sight of. And it was just here's this physical task in front of me. And the only thing I can do is, is work through this. The weight's not going to go away. There's nobody in here to rescue me if it falls on me. I have to push through this. And in building that physical strength, the mental and emotional strength came, you know, and it, it was not overnight. It was every single day, you know, clawing a little bit back out to the light. And it's something I still have to work on. I mean, here we are 12 years later and it's, it's better. I'm much further away from that dark place, but it's something that I have to be aware of because I can find myself back in that very negative, angry place, angry at our situation, angry that 
we will have a child who will forever be dependent on us. You know, that's, that's a grief. I, I grieve a lot for what would have been her life of independence. Um, I grieve for my older daughter and not having a typical younger sister to do stuff with. I, I grieve for us that we'll never be empty nesters, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. But I have to turn that back around and say, what a blessing this is. This year when we sent our oldest off to college, I thought, wow, that hurt a lot to send my child away out into this world. But you know what? We don't have to do it with the other one. Like I don't ever have to go through that pain again because I have one who's going to be here with us forever. And that's an mm. awesome blessing. So it was interesting when I uh, decided to leave teaching and I was trying to think about, okay, what's my brand and business name? And I just this Spartan warrior mask kept coming back to me. And I don't know why. Just, you know, looking through websites. I was like, that's just so strong. That's so powerful to me. That's something I, I just really feel like I'm, I'm drawn to. And I remember reading this quote and this quote said, the warrior fights what is in front of him to defend who is behind him. And it was like this moment of awakening. Cause I thought that was exactly it. That was my moment where I realized I had to keep going for those two little girls behind me. And that's where my brand, that's where my business name came from. But that's the thing that I try to, to teach my clients. All this in front of us, we have to keep fighting this because there's somebody behind us that's depending on us, right? And maybe they're not here yet. Maybe we don't know who that person is, but we have to keep fighting this fight. And so let's start with the physical strength. Let's start there. That's not the only part of it though. We have to work on climbing our way back to the light mentally and emotionally. And whether that is through you know, prayer or self-care, whatever that looks like for you, we have to build those things in because it's not just a standalone nutrition plan. It's not just a good workout, right? We have to have all this coming together to be this, this integrative approach. And I live this and I understand this. And I, mm -hmm. I, I always feel like there's probably some part of that dark place that still exists as a reminder for that person, for that client that I meet that is in a moment of desperation. Because now I know what that feels like. 13 years ago, I didn't know what that felt like. You know, I had no experience with what that, what that meant to really be in a dark place. You know, it's not that I had lived this cushy life, but I didn't know it to that, that term. And now I do. And that's a huge blessing. Like I would never, ever go back and take those years away as awful as they were. And to the breaking point that it brought me to that and having a special needs child have been my two biggest blessings. I would not be here. Like the God would not have put any of this into my path had I not been able to to live through that. And it's been my biggest blessing. And I think that that's where a lot of people, a lot of people have a hard time escaping that victim mentality. And I had that for so long. It was why did everything bad happen to me and all the good stuff happened to my sister? Why me? Why me? Poor pitiful me. And it brings you to this place of, of loneliness and negativity. Um, and when you can turn that around and say, you know, none of these things were, were done to me in punishment. They were given to me as a blessing. The good Lord entrusted me with this struggle for a reason. And now I have to figure out what is the purpose in that pain. And if I'm not going to take that and find purpose in it and use it in a way to make somebody else's life better, there was no, there was no meaning behind it. And there's a meaning behind it. It's up to me to figure out what that is. And I truly think that meaning is going into those places of struggle and darkness and understanding that those were given to you to make you a better, stronger version of yourself if you allow it to be that. Or you can sink down into that, you know, self-pity and, and victimization. And there's no lesson in that. There's nothing that you're going to take from that and make this world a better place because of it. And I think that's, that's just such a, such a lesson I always try to keep in the forefront of my mind.
that this was a blessing that I was put through those dark times. It's been my biggest teacher. And I, I don't ever want to lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. That's a mic drop right there. <laughs> going. Uh, well, to unpack that, everybody listening to this needs to just rewind and listen to that whole thing again because there's a lot to unpack mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. One thing that really stood out to me was, Stephanie, when you said there's still that peace within me, that dark thing within me, right? And you said that still, that is serving me. I have I have switched my mindset to now that's not something that I need to be angry about myself because I'm not perfect, right? That thing still, that piece of me is still there. But guess what? Now that's serving me as a reminder of what maybe this person that I'm helping is going through. I mean, I've never heard anybody flip the script on that before. And take that and make it something that's serving you and allowing you to help others. Holy crap, man. <laughs> I, I think the uh, what you said about how there's people behind you, if if people need a reason to get out or they think, man, why? If, if you are not doing the best you can, not saying be perfect, but the best that you can, then you're letting down. There are people looking up to it. Anybody that's listening to this, any voice that hears this, there's people that look up to you, that depend on you, whether you have kids or don't, or there's no family around. There's people that look at you and say, I'm dependent on them. And if you're not doing the best you can, your life is bigger than just you. So that it's important not to get sucked into, well, it's just me. If, if I were to die or if I just let myself go and it's, it's fine. The world's going to be the same. It will go on, but it will not be the same. And something else that stuck out to me, as I listened to that story, we started out talking about the physical body and obesity. But as I listened to that story, the importance of, of the physical body was about this big, about a, a thimble if you're not watching the video. Yeah. It, it's about this big. And you think, okay, so there was no mention of your physical fitness then, but say someone's going through that and they're 500 pounds. The 500 pounds is a problem, but you don't give a crap when you don't even want to live the next day. And so it's like the the physical fitness will come when you figure out all those other things because you're going to feel so good mentally and spiritually, then you're going to want to go do things and, and you're going to want to do better fit, uh, physically. But if you're in a bad place with those two things, then the... It's, it's like it's a byproduct or, or a, a result of mm-hmm. getting the other ones in order. And I, I just think that stuck out to me, how we started talking about obesity. You shared that powerful story there, and I didn't even I, – I could care less. And you probably, until you realized you needed to change, probably the last thing you were thinking about is, I need to go get a workout in, <laughs> you know. But once you realize, I need, man, i got to come out of this. What can I do to get out of it? The physical fitness was a big part that helped pull you out of it, right? I loved I loved the way she described the um the pushing the weight off of her body, like physically in the gym, and like how that was building upon her mindset. 
mm-hmm. and her spirit, the physical act of pushing that weight off of her body. I've just never, I've never correlated. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful description of how intertwined the three parts of ourself is. They, they, they all are just feeding one another in, in both directions. Yeah. Did that mindset shift when you decided to go to the gym? How long did that take? Did you just like fake it till you make it kind of thing? I think honestly it was, it started off almost as, this sounds awful, but almost as an escape. When I, you know, I'd wait till everybody else was in bed and taken care of and then I would go. And so part of it was in that place, I could just be me. I was not Neely's mom. I wasn't Lane's wife. I wasn't Mrs. Lawler in the classroom, so-and-so's teacher. I was just me. And uh, I think that's how it started. It was an hour where I could give myself that time and be away from everything else, shut it all off, and nothing else mattered. Because in a gym, those those weights are humbling. Like, that's that's leveling, right? I mean, there's you can either lift it or you can't. There's no, there's no subjectivity there. And... So I think that that's how it in part developed. It, it was something I started to crave because it was a place where I did start to feel confident. And, and it was a place where I could just go and be me. It was, it was, a, it was a release. Um, and it was a release that I didn't even know that I needed at the time. It was just out of desperation, I've, I've got two places to go, right? It's, it's, it's pray about this or it's, or it's work through this in the gym. And, uh, and those were the, the two places that it brought me. But I think the other mindset that had to change was in those years of struggle, it was putting everyone else and, and everything else ahead of me. And, you know, we all, we always hear this, you can't pour from an empty glass and it feels inherently selfish when you, when you take that time to do the things that are for you right? As a, as a woman, as a mom, as a human, it's all about serving everyone else. And when you have a servant's heart, that's such an important part of who you are and, and all that you know. And so you get it kind of twisted in thinking, well, I'm doing the best I can, right? I have all these other people that need all these things for me. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. But here's the funny thing. If you're not striving to be a better version of yourself today, then you're not really doing the best you can by these people who need you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're delivering a subpar version of yourself, and so when I look back now, I feel like, man, I, I really cheated my daughter. I could have been a better advocate for her if I had taken care of myself and been stronger, right? Maybe, maybe I could have scheduled in one more therapy session or worked with her a little bit more at home instead of being so lost in, in, in my struggles. So I think that that's the place that we have to understand. If you truly feel like you have to put yourself last because all of these other people are depending on you if you're not your best self physically, mentally, and emotionally, you're not giving your best self to those people. And that requires you claiming back some of that time and paying yourself first and doing what you need to do for your mind, body, and spirit each day. Because as you do that, you are a more capable version of yourself. You know, if I was 500 pounds and overweight, when my daughter tells me she feels like she's going to pass out and I have to be there to pick her up at 120 pounds, I couldn't do that. And that's something that's always played in my mind about the physical strength of it. Like I have to be strong enough to potentially carry her, you know, lift her out of bed, whatever that's going to require. I have to have that physical strength to do that. But here's the other thing. This is a really difficult journey mentally. And I look back at, you know, all these things that were just crushing to me with diagnosis and, you know, this doctor's appointment and that one, how I would literally just sit in the car and cry because I wasn't very strong mentally. 
And now I take it, and it's not that I demean the situation by any means, but okay, I understand that this is what you're telling me. What do I need to do now to fix this? Instead of being so bogged down in the emotional side of it, not being able to handle it emotionally, now I have learned to deal with those emotions, sit in them for a little while, and then I got to put them away, and now we've got to be a person of action. So that's it's just a message that I always want to leave people because we're all caretakers to some extent. But if you're not your best self, the caretaker that you are is not the best caretaker that you can be. So you have to make sure that you truly are feeding all of the parts that you need to feed. And then you notice that you, you have more to give. I'm a way better parent now than I was then, right? I'm a way better coach, teacher, spouse, all of those things because I'm a better version of me. And so you're cheating all of these people in your life that you say that you love and care for if you aren't taking that time to make sure that you pour into yourself as well. This is, uh, that's a biblical principle, by the way. Take the plank out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, dude, I'm, I can't, I've sit, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, I want to be coached by you. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's unbelievable. I did not know like what level you were on, but this is probably the most profound podcast we've recorded just as far as the density mm-hmm. of takeaways and applicable things that you can get out of this. Um you can go and find any coach that can help you get ripped, but that's different. I feel like I could sit down with Stephanie and say, Stephanie, I'm having pro I'm having, I'm having an issue managing my personal time, the work that I need to get done. And also the goals that I have around racing. And I feel like Stephanie could help me design a day today process that would make me better. Me and Blake both know that you would only follow it for like a few days. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I, I'm trying to implement. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fledgling right now, trying to implement things in my life that that are helping me with this. But to have someone on this level that can sit down and say, "Okay, let's really talk through this. Let's come up with a plan that that you can execute from day to day." I mean, that's super valuable. Like. I don't need anyone to coach me on on the the actual like exercise, right? I, I know I, I'm motivated. I know how to do that. I know my body well enough to do that. I think the just the the level of value that you have to offer though of being able to work through all the pieces and then also having the knowledge for to you possess the knowledge for the person that does need help with the actual physical uh you know, side of, of getting healthy, that is a total freaking package, man. Well, does that our missions are exactly aligned. We just <laughs> deliver them differently. She is coaching one-on-one what three of seven teaches and three of seven is teaching yeah. what she coaches one-on-one. It's, I mean, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. She's just much more, uh, in, you know, in depth and personal with her delivery and yeah, than what we are. And she has such a voice too. Have you noticed that? Yep. Her voice. 
just coming through this perfect microphone. radio voice. It's perfect. <laughs> um, English teacher voice. <laughs> so what are uh, what are some of your goals, Stephanie? Where do you? I mean, what what do you? Yeah, what are some of your goals? So a goal that I actually have started working on. It's been a goal for a long time. Is to write a book. I love to write. I've always loved to write. It's why I chose to be an English teacher. It wasn't because I thought commas were cool. It was because mm. writing and reading was so powerful to me. It was an escape. It was cathartic. It was a, a way to see places and, and meet people that my life might not ever bring me to. So writing a book, that's a big one. Um, and the, the focus of it and the content has shifted over the years. I think that a lot of it has to do with with my journey and how same thing. How can I use that to inspire somebody else's journey? And, you know, one of the things that, that I always remember is this hour drive to Neely's therapy. And I would just sometimes drive through tears thinking, just show me the purpose in all of this, you know, help me to see how this is going to make someone else's life a little bit more graceful or a little bit more hopeful or remind them to not give up. And so that's a big goal. In the next year and a half, I want to write a book. I've started a little bit of a draft process with that, but I've got to get serious about managing my time and adding that in as, as something that I work towards each day. So that is a big goal. Um, you know, and, and I think over the last year, my business model shifted a little bit. It was like that weird year four or five where it's kind of some growing pains and we were in a good rhythm with things. And then we wanted to start growing. And I think we got really too complicated. And so this year has been about coming back to center and, you know, the main thing needs to be the main thing. And so I just want to be able to help people on a, you know, on a larger scale, whatever that looks like. But, um, one of the things that we're doing is I do a, a we call it warrior weekend every October. And this started like four years ago when I first started my business, I thought, you know, my mom has this cabin up in, in North Georgia, up in McKaysville. And, uh, my parents built that. My parents are divorced. They built it when I was 10. So it's 35 years of being able to go up there. And you guys know, like you have that, that, that place where you go to. And as soon as you, you start to drive there, like you can feel that weight being lifted off your shoulders. And that's what the cabin is for me. So many wonderful memories. So much of my childhood was there. And I wanted to be able to share this with my clients. So four or five years ago, I started the first warrior weekend and I thought, I'm just going to invite some people and see if they want to go. <laughs> and I didn't think anybody would really be down for this, but we did. And it brought together a lot of my clients that we just knew each other online. And we all came together in the first couple of years. It was nothing but a bunch of just rednecks shooting shotguns and <laughs> sitting around a bonfire drinking, having, you know, having a good time, having a couple of beers. And uh, over the years, this has evolved into more of a more of a retreat style weekend. And so, this last year that we did this, this past October, I now have three other coaches that that work under my brand, and so happen to be all women and twenty five of us. And we really made it more into kind of a personal development weekend. Each of my coaches has their own specific area of expertise yoga, kind of mind body, another one who's functional medicine, chiropractic. So kind of pulling all these pieces together and did some breakout sessions, but then also just, you know, we had like, <laughs> we do this thing called the redneck games. We dress up like in our best redneck and do some team building stuff, you know, tug of war and dress a redneck, all this stuff. But, uh, it's a, it's a great time, but it's a, it's a wonderful time of just coming together soul to soul and, pouring into these women 
and, and just having this, this awesome community. And so one of the things I'd like to do is to do more of these kinds of things, mm-hmm. not just limit it to once a year, only 25 people is the max that I, I can do just because of the cabins that we rent. So this is actually a goal that's coming into fruition next month. We are going to do an event up in, uh, up in St. Louis at the First Form headquarters and kind of take a condensed version of this Warrior Weekend into a day. So we're going to do a tour of the headquarters and then do some breakout sessions. Each of the coaches will lead a session and just be able to bring people in and, and, and travel and do some more of these things to help people understand what our mission is and how we get started in doing that. Um, you know, and just kind of a, a fellowship to bring people together. So mm-hmm. it's another big goal is to kind of get out on the road and do some more of these things, but bring, bring this community together and bring other people to this community. Holy smokes, man. I freaking love that. I just, I, I was just sitting here thinking, I want to come to warrior weekend in McKay. It's awesome. It's women only. <laughs> no, it's not. It just oh, happened to be this year. Yeah. Because Stephanie told me, uh, at the range, she was like, I coach mostly women. And I was like, well, you're blessed because <laughs> if if I could also train only women, I would do that. Not because I'm I'm weird or sexist <laughs> or anything. I'm just telling you, women are so much smarter. They are so much better at learning. Uh, there is no ego involved, and uh, and they are just viciously just tough as freaking nails man when we trained out on the range the other day and it was freaking 15 degrees (laughs) if you added in the wind chill if we would have had four men out there it would have been a freaking suffer fest dude they would have you guys did not come you didn't complain at all we might have joked a time or two and laughed at each other for our hands being frozen but you guys executed every portion of that training amidst really, really tough conditions. And by the way, I love the post you made yeah. afterward. Loved it. I couldn't have said it better. Um, and yeah, I have just a passion for training and being around strong women. I have a passion for that. You know I do, Biscuit. Why are you smiling at me? I'm I'm no I'm good. Okay. Well, do you got any anything else? I wanted to selfishly ask, like I really need to work on what you said about kind of reframing the negative thoughts. And you said something, and of course now I forgot. I get to. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some actionable things like I can do? to kind of incorporate that more into my life, like other than just thinking about it, like, is there anything that that you, you know, I think that uh, some of it is I have real people that I can connect this to. And so when I get to that place where I don't want to go out into the gym and get a workout in, it's, you know, it's 40 degrees out there, it's cold, the iron hurts. I think about my uncle and uh, about four or five years ago, he super active, very young, 65 year old, developed a, uh, an infection in his spinal column and it paralyzed him from the shoulders down. Mm. So to take somebody who has for 65 years been incredibly athletic, you know, love to fish, love to hunt, love to golf, all these things. And on a dime, your life is completely dependent on somebody else to care for you just for your basic needs. I think about him a lot. You know, I think about all the times where I, I, don't want to do those kinds of things. And I think, man, he would give his right eye to be able to get to 
get out here and lift these weights. He'd give anything to be able to bundle up and go take a walk in the mornings. Mm. Right. And so I think about him a lot. And, uh, I think about a lot of the, the kids when I would sit in the, the waiting room for therapy, you know, and I, it's, it's easy in that situation to kind of get down on yourself and think, man, our situation's so terrible. And I would sit there as Neely was back doing physical therapy and I would watch these other parents come in and they're wheeling in their terminally ill child who is bald because they have cancer. Right. And it was a very humbling, a very humbling perspective. Mm. You know, you think it's, it's all about perspective. And as, as much as I want to, to sit in the woe is me and this stinks that, you know, my child will never be able to walk with a normal gait or, you know, she, she has choking issues, that kind of thing. Look at all these other kids who can't even eat. Look at all these families who, you know, next year may not have this child with them. And I just sat back and thought, well, what in the world do I have to complain about? So for me, it's kind of visualizing and picturing those people who wish they could do those kinds of things and understanding that it's every day is a blessing. And, and even in the struggle, it's a blessing, right? Because there's something there that, that we have to learn. And it just becomes something that you have to keep practicing at, like with anything. You know, you can't just flip the, the switch and magically say, oh, I'm so blessed that I went through these dark years of my life. What an awesome thing. It's taken me 12 years to get to that point where I can say that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's just a daily practice that I have to go through. I, I start off the, the beginning and end of every single day with gratitude. Before my feet even hit the ground, I, you know, open my eyes and I pray and I think about the things that I am grateful for and the things that I want for my life and for the family and for the people I serve. And I go to that at the end of every night too. So there, there are tools that I have put in there to help me keep that mindset. But it's just like anything else. It's just consistency, right? It's just remembering. And it's not that, it's not that it executes the right way every day. There are a lot of days where even though I say I get to do this, I'm moaning and groaning <laughs> all the way through it. But it's, it's just a, a, I think it's just a practiced mindset. Well, and awesome. you said, uh, visualization and I have done this all my life and didn't even realize I was doing it till, um, you know, a couple years back, but that like, that doesn't mean that you think, Oh, well I could not have my kid. I mean, when you actually sit down and think like take an hour and think through what would life be like without my kid or my husband or without the ability to do this thing. And, and what, then what would that be like? living that and just keep playing it out, you know? And for me, like if I'm overwhelmed and I think, man, I I just don't want to spend time with my kids today. I've had a tough day. I just, I don't want to do it. And it, so the things that I don't want to do, I think about what life would be like if I couldn't do it. So the minute I don't want to spend time with my kids, I think, okay, well, what if I couldn't spend time with my kids? Then how would I like it? And then instantly I'm like, no, it would be terrible. I want to go work out or spend time with the kids or do this or that. And so that was a really good point that I wanted to emphasize for Brooke and for everybody listening that the visualization of it is not just a thought of, oh, yeah, I could I could not have my child or I could not be able to do it. When you actually feel it and think it and hear what everything would be like, it's pretty powerful. It was very powerful. You know, there, there must be something about that 12-year thing too because – it's also taken me about 12 years to, to get to the place where no matter what difficulty I'm facing, Brooke and I are facing, 
we're facing in business, no matter what difficulty is there, no matter what pressure is there, no matter what obstacle is there, I always know in the back of my head that this is 100% for a purpose and it is actually forging me into who I'm going to need to be out the other side of this thing. Now, just because you possess that knowledge doesn't mean that it's easy to get through it. It's still hard in business, in marriage, in personal things. It's still going to be difficult. But if you, this is another big mindset shift. You, you, you have to truly believe, and, and you, you have to believe it because it is true. It's a fact of life. And it's just like the thing, the latest thing Brooke and I have been go, walking through together. I mean, how many times have I told you we're going to be better when we get through this and we're going to be better for our reason because there's some way, there's somebody that's going to depend on us to teach them and share with them the tools that we learned through this process. And it's just true. It's, it's just true. All, all you can do is tell people what your life was like and how you came out of it and now what it's like. These big things that people want to know, like, how do I do this? I have learned you cannot, they can't learn that lesson from you. They have to experience mm. something and learn the lesson for themselves. They Because it, it just won't make sense. Until someone's gone through a hard time and they realize that lesson and learn it for themselves, it will not stick with them. They, it might help them in one scenario and they're like, oh, well, I wasn't able to run. Um, I was going to quit at 40 miles and I got to 50 miles because I used this tool. But in, in the things that really matter, like the story you shared, I have learned recently and believe that you had you just have to learn it for yourself. And when people are in it, you got to say, hey, look, I was in that place. I learned this and I came out. And hopefully it gives them some hope to do it right and push through. And they're going to learn the lesson they need to learn. But we can get caught up in trying to te tell people this is what you need to know or this is how you get out of it. Or people can get caught up in trying to get that from you. Like, what's the secret to get where you're at? It's like, I went through a lot of really hard times and I learned these things. And you're not going to be where I'm at until you do the same thing. That Everybody wants the secret. How many times on courses do people keep hammering? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, it's like, no, there's no what about nothing. There's, I don't have the secret sauce. I went through some really hard times, and I pulled the lessons out of it, and now I'm this person. If you want to be like me, you got to go through your own hard times, and it can be the hard times I went through because everybody's different, right? Yeah. Everybody's different, and I think that, you know, struggle is struggle, and you can kind of look at it on this spectrum. Well, you know, this person struggling with this isn't near as profound as this person struggling with the loss of a child. And, of course, there are, you know, it's it, – there are different levels to it, but struggle is struggle and it's all relative for each person. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that it's that kind of thing where I, I never want to minimize somebody else's struggle yeah. just because it wasn't maybe as profound as what they think mine is. But you know what? Mine isn't as profound as a dear friend of ours whose 18 year old died of cardiac arrest the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And you, and you look at this couple and think, well, how are they possibly going to live another day without their daughter? You just do. 
right? But it doesn't, their struggle doesn't minimize anything from mine. Mine doesn't minimize anything from anybody else's. It's just, you have to, like you said, Blake, you have to go through those things and come out of the other side, a, a better, stronger person and always cling on to that hope that like, like you said, there's something that is happening in this moment that is in preparation for something further down the road. Mm -hmm. And when you, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me, the older I get and the more I can kind of look at my life in reverse and all the dots are connected. Like it, it's, it's so powerful to me to think that taking it back to the very first year that I taught, I taught high school and uh, my classroom was the only regular ed classroom in the wing of the school that was for special needs. All the special education classrooms were in this one particular part of the school and there was like no place left for me. I was the last hired. And so they kind of gave me this <laughs> classroom with no furniture, no nothing. And it was right here in the middle of this special education wing. That experience that I had those five, six years that that's where my classroom was, all of that was preparing me for having a special needs child, right? I, I co-taught with these kids that were so similar to who and what my daughter is now. And I can take it back even further from that. Having a, a dad who had polio and was disabled, one leg shorter than the other because of it, and understanding that we, we couldn't do some of the things that other people could do, that our life looked a little different. And so when you really can start to put the pieces back together yeah. and look at your life in reverse, it's all been purposeful. Every single thing that has happened was preparing me for different points of my life. And of course, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You don't understand it then. But had you not accepted that challenge at the time, you wouldn't be where you were supposed to be. If I had never had any experience with special needs kids, I wouldn't be as equipped, not that, not that I'm equipped, you know, it's all a learning curve, but I wouldn't have had that piece yeah. that I needed for, for right now, right? You guys are, are learning a piece that you're going to need somewhere down the road. And you may never know who that person is that needs that from you. It may happen totally unbeknownst to either one of you, but there's a reason. Yeah. Well, and God is not concerned with how comfortable you are. I'm convinced because the easiest thing for God to do would be to say, oh, I'm going through this hard time. Lord, take it from me. He can do that at the snap of a finger. That's not hard for him. But the thing that he can't do is make you trust in him and truly serve him. And I think in those hard times, he's waiting to see, how hard is Blake going to lean on me right here? How much is he going to trust me? How much of his life is he going to give to me here? And I'm not saying he waits to see that before he takes things from you, but I'm saying that since he gave us free will, he cannot. He gave us free will, and his word stands true, and he's not going to go against a promise. So we have the choice, and, and that is one thing he can't do is make you serve him. Or maybe he could, but he's not going to. Mm -hmm. And so he can take a struggle from you at the snap of a finger. But I don't think he's concerned with your comfort because he wants to see and he wants to develop you. And when things are good, you don't, you need him, but you don't think you need him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I'm convinced the absolute worst thing that Jesus Christ could do for one of his sons and daughters is give them an easy life. Mm -hmm. Absolute worst thing. Yeah. I, you know, for the relationship between Jesus and us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is thing. all that ultimately that's matters. All, yeah, that's all yeah. that matters. All right, Stephanie. If if people want to learn more um, about Warrior Fit, about 
what you have to offer. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So two ways. I have a website, warriorfit1.com, and there's a contact me button, so they can send me an email there. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram, same thing, warriorfit1. I've tried to keep it consistent. Um, those are really the two best ways. I have a I have a Facebook community. That's the other thing I would love to open up here. I've got a private Facebook community, and it's a place that the coaches and I pour into education, love, support, community. You know, and as much as people are in this place of displeasure with social media and they don't like Facebook, it's drama, it's all this. I, I try to tell people like this is a place that's different. You know, this is if you've taken taken anything from this podcast and you felt any certain way about it, I would love to invite people into this community. It's 1500 people and it's just the coolest place. You know, it's such a, I don't love social media at all. It's, it's part of what I do for my job, but it's allowed me to connect and allowed me to bring like-minded people together, which is a cool thing. Yeah. You know, because I think that that's the, the part that a lot of people are missing in this journey, whatever their goal is, whatever their why is, they're missing that sense of community, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I know that for a long time, I felt very much like an outlier in all these other, all these other areas of my life. And when you can come together and find other people who just have this common goal to get better, to be better, there's something really awesome about that. So if anybody would like to be part of that, they can just uh, find my community on Facebook. It's Team Warrior Fitness. And uh, there's a couple of membership questions, you know, to answer. And I would love to invite any of your audience to that group to come and be a part of it. We've got all ages, shapes, sizes, backgrounds, you know, everywhere across the United States and several other countries. And it's just a, it's an awesome place. We try to do some local meetups, um, you know, in Georgia and where the other coaches are. We're going to try to be putting on more of these events like we're going to do in March at First Form. Uh, but I would love to invite people. And in if they if they are lacking that, if they want a place that's a community for them where they can be as engaged or as unengaged as they want, but we, we welcome everybody. I would love to extend that invitation as well. Amazing. Amazing. Stephanie, I am so thankful that you took the time out of your day to come here and have this conversation with us. Oh, it was an honor. Thank it, you guys for asking me. It, it really made my day, and I learned a lot, and a lot of the things that I believe and trust in were confirmed mm-hmm. through the lessons that you just shared with us. Um, man, you are a special human. I want to encourage you to keep pushing and doing what you're doing because – uh, it's not every day we get to sit down and have a conversation uh, with uh, on this level. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very special. So I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, I second so that. Yeah. It was just amazing. Well, and thank you to Andy for <laughs> speaking so highly of me. I had no idea about that story. That's really, that's really nice. And yeah. it's so funny because Andy, like you said, he's fairly reserved in that way. And, uh, for probably the first three years, I'm like, Oh, he hates me, <laughs> you know, because he, he, it's not that he's standoffish. He's just a, a very honest person yeah. and he keeps his circle small. And I really respect that. And I understand that. Um, but yeah, for the first three or four years, I was determined that he absolutely hated me. <laughs> just going to fade in the back and not cause any trouble. <laughs> no, this is, this is awesome. And I'm so glad that, uh, now our communities are, connected and intertwined and our missions are uh, in alignment and it's just it it don't get no better than this man this is why we do what we do is to be able to to join and come alongside people like you so we love you so much thank you guys love y'all thank you enough said